Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. Hi, guys. It's America and Teresa. We're back for another session of In the Open, and we have a special guest with us today. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> well, that's Teresa and Emily. Emily, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what brings you here with us today? Yes. Um, hi, America. Hi, Teresa. I'm so happy to be here. So my name is Emily Pope. I am the Director of Marketing at Tempest. We are the leader in modern recovery. Um, we're a digital membership program that empowers people to explore their relationship with alcohol through education, community, and support. So I've been with the company for about three years, and I am seven years sober myself. So very excited to work at such a mission-aligned place. Oh, that's awesome. So that perfectly really, really helps us frame this conversation today, because what we're going to be talking about is if you should stop drinking, right? Like that's the question. Mm -hmm. Should I stop drinking? What does that even mean when you start asking yourself that question? Because it may be related to other things. I would love to hear a little bit from you, Emily, about one, if you ever asked yourself that question and what led mm. you to kind of start having those questions. Yeah, I mean, I've asked myself that question many times. I think I was a person who grew up in a household that had experiences with mental health issues and also issues with addiction. So I was no stranger to kind of dealing with the question of, should I stop drinking? So really from an early age, you know, dealing with family members who had issues with um, alcohol use disorder and alcohol use. I kind of grew up thinking like, oh, I'm never going to drink. Like, I know what it looks like. It's I'm never going to put myself in that scenario. But flash forward to being in high school, and that really changed. I think that, you know, being a young person where other people are drinking around you, I felt influenced to start drinking myself. And pretty much right away, I realized that I didn't have a quote unquote normal relationship with alcohol. I didn't drink often, but when I did drink, I wasn't really able to control the amount that I drank. So it was like, you know, I wouldn't drink for maybe a few months at a time, but when I did drink, um, it was definitely like a binge and I would drink too much. Um, and also just with my background in history, I, it like felt, I carried a lot of weight with drinking. Like it wasn't a, just like a fun wake up hungover the next day, maybe laugh about how silly it was. It always felt like this extra baggage of shame and embarrassment um, that maybe other people, I didn't know whether or not they were feeling. For me, I, you know, I got sober pretty young. I quit drinking when I was 23 because I you know, I had the family history, I already felt pretty crappy about my own relationship with alcohol. And it just didn't make me feel good. Um, it made me feel bad about myself. I didn't wake up the next day feeling like myself. Um, and so after I when I was 23, I'd moved to New York, and things kind of really ramped up being in a being out of college, kind of being away truly on my own for the first time. Um, in a city like New York and trying to meet new people, the drinking just went from, you know, in my past where I would maybe drink 
honestly, maybe like once a month or something like that, it started to become like every weekend and then on the weekends and then also during the week. And it just escalated and progressed really quickly for me. So I had kind of a moment where I realized not only was my drinking impacting myself, but it was also impacting the people around me, um, particularly like the people who I was living with. And so for me, that was kind of the, I guess, the aha moment where I decided that it was time to stop drinking. Um, And the, you know, the question here is, should I stop drinking? And I think as a young person, it was really hard to decipher what about this was a drinking problem and what about this was just being a young person in a culture that spends a lot of time drinking. Um, so I think that I asked myself that question a lot. It, it brings me back to so many um, situations that I've had. Um, I have had people in my life that have had issues with alcohol. Um, I myself drink, but I don't drink heavily. I've never really drunk heavily. But what you're talking about is like society, like college, you're, you were, I was always drinking. You go out on the weekend, you're drinking, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Everything that was social was tied to an aspect of drinking. So that question for you is like, is it me or is it the system around me, right? That's pushing it. But that's even, that's a hard question to ask yourself at 20. Because I'm just like, I'm just doing what everybody's doing, right? But I think that's what growing up with um, alcoholism in your family does. Mm -hmm. It's like the trauma you experience pushes you to have to think or contend with these issues earlier Mm -hmm. if if you're lucky, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think I've also slipped into the other space where I'm like, I wasn't as good about being aware of my predisposures Mm -hmm. and, and be its own a trap, especially with addiction issues, because it's so easy to fall into that space where drinking is a coping skill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a a comfort. It's um especially with dual issues like I would say it's a coping mechanism, not depression. a skill. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean it can okay, be a okay, Miss Technicality. <laughs> well I think I'm using it to cope. <laughs> I think you make a really good point, which is One, I think, you know, I was lucky in the sense that I did have that experience growing up. So like when I, you know, when I was kind of slipping into more destructive behaviors, I wasn't like, what could this possibly be? Like I had references for what was happening. So I see that as like, you know, really lucky and honestly life-saving in my case that I did have that experience growing up. And then on top of that, I think it's like this question of alcohol as something that is consistently reinforced in our society as being normal. And I think that's something at Tempest we talk about a lot, which is that like, you know, we live in a society where it's really normalized to drink. And not only that, it's really normalized to drink in excess. And so for a lot of people, knowing when they've crossed this invisible line between normal drinking and problematic drinking is like where where that line doesn't actually exist. And so we try to reframe it for folks to think about like it doesn't really matter, you know, if you label yourself an alcoholic or if you are do you have a problem with drinking? It's like how is drinking affecting your life? Is it making you feel better? Is it making you feel worse? 
And for me, you know, I didn't know if I was in quote unquote alcoholic. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because what I did know is that drinking was making me feel bad about myself and it wasn't helping me live my life authentically. It wasn't helping me progress at work. It wasn't like helping me create authentic relationships. It was really holding me back. And, you know, in my case, I was using it as a crutch to deal with um, a generalized anxiety disorder. So I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety and I would drink because it was the only thing, you know, before I was diagnosed, it was the only thing I could, I had to like uh, deal with my anxiety. I had no other tools. Um, I was really like a zero to 60 person all in on whatever I was doing. So like, all in on work, all in on school, and then like all in on drinking when I was doing that. So for me to, and I think probably for a lot of folks who are within our membership, like learning those tools, um, those coping mechanisms to how to actually, you know, deal with issues like anxiety um, was really important. But I think going back to something you said about breaking down the process of recognizing how drinking is not a healthy way to cope with life is easier to say said than done. And I think breaking that down for people, what that looks like is really important Mm -hmm. because that is that's at the center of the decision, right? Like, can can do you think back to what specifically went through your mind or what through your thought process and the behaviors or actions around you that were some of those red flags that your drinking was not healthy? Yeah, I mean, definitely something that, first of all, is is easier said than done. And something else that a lot of the subject matter experts and the recovery coaches in the program talk about is you know, drinking probably worked for you until it didn't, you know, like it worked for me for a while, like drinking helped me come out of my shell It helped me, you know, forge connections and make friends. So like if people are drinking, it's because it works in a lot of ways. It works to help you, you know, be a person out in the world and be social, especially as a young person. But then at a certain point, you know, some of these other consequences can start to seep in. Or there's just the question of like, is that how you want to be living your life? And for me, I think some of the red flags were, I mean, I was honestly a blackout drinker. So it's pretty easy for me to say what my red flags were, which is that I would go into an evening of drinking, either being able to like have two drinks and then go home and be fine or drink until I blacked out. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. So it was just a question of like, drinking didn't feel safe for me um, because I wasn't able to, you know, moderate. I wasn't able to do it in a way that was honestly safe for, you know, like a, a young person living in a city with no friends or family around. So, but I think like, if I think back to even earlier than that, I think it's like using alcohol as something that feels more of a crutch rather than something to enhance your experience, if that makes sense. So going to a party and like drinking because you are afraid to chat, to talk to people rather than like having it like enhance your experience and have more fun. Or, you know, if you are realizing that, you know, especially as people during the pandemic, people are staying home, their routines have been completely 
changed. And I think, you know, anecdotally, I've had a lot of friends who say that, like, they went from, you know, having a beer at the end of their workday to having two beers at the end of their workday to then having three beers at the end of their workday. And it's like, for some folks, they're leaving the pandemic lockdowns with a very different relationship with alcohol than when it started. So I think like, just noticing what your relationship is, and if it feels like it's enhancing your experiences, or if there's, you know, like I said, with my experience, there would seem to be a little bit of an extra baggage or feelings of shame that I associated with drinking. Yeah. I mean, as the person who struggles with really extreme anxiety, it does enhance my experience because it can numb out, it can numb out my anxiety brain Yeah, in a way that, you know, it's a slower feel than Clonopin or Xanax can do, which basically also makes you feel the same way, but faster and stronger, yeah. you know, in some, in some, some context. What I hear you say though, are a lot of the tricks that we often tell people to look at early on, because it's, it's, these are the things that go on in our mind before I'm already in deep. Like by the time I get to, wow, I drank half that fifth of fifth a liter of vodka, like you, I know that's in deep. Mm-hmm. And I probably had six months of actions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That were indicative of, whoa, I should have been on guard to titrate and be aware of the risks that were happening. And then I'm also deeply aware, and I think it's important to level set for client, like people who are like, for the clients I have who are in full-blown states of alcoholism, mm-hmm. they are waking up every day and cannot not think about drinking is the first thing that they're doing, right? Like, They also have health consequences related to their drinking. They have liver problems. They're drinking enormous amounts of alcohol compared to what we understand is a reasonable amount of alcohol. They know it. And that's not what we're talking about here. I think that's important for people to know because we're not talking about, we are talking about understanding that threshold between, you know, when I know that my drinking can Mm -hmm. be unhealthy to when I have full blown alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to, to, to note for people that that spectrum of time that exists and ebbs and flows between like how I negotiate my life with the drinking is a long process. It's not like I wake up one day and I'm like, Oh my gosh, an alcoholic. I think so, Teresa, and what you're saying and, and listening to you guys kind of talk about this, I think for many people, it is an either or like, I, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm fine. And if maybe something comes up, it comes up, but it's not really an issue. Or I'm an alcoholic, right? Where f- the frame that oftentimes is taken is like, yeah, definitely. I have a problem with drinking. And so for a person that's struggling with that, I think it's going to be very difficult for me to be like, yeah, I totally have a problem with drinking and this is why. And that's like the, you know, like on the piece of paper, these are the things that you should be looking for. Right. And you're like, No, Mm -hmm. my experience does not look like that at all. It's me not being able to like hang out with my friends and not be like inclined to have a drink because they're drinking and feel crap about it, right? Yeah. but And I think that speaks to the privilege of people who get to grow up in a world where their parents were not struggling with alcoholism. And so you existed in your universe as always being very confident Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. your drinking because – I am not confident about my mm. drinking and I am very aware of my family history. And I'm also very deeply aware of my, my actions 
and my relationship with alcohol. And I have had to negotiate this for a long time. And like, yeah, I think it would be, I think it's nice to think of a world where I'm like, oh, I feel very confident that I'm not an alcoholic. Whereas probably as long as I can remember, as soon as I drank alcohol, I was like, oh, this tastes Mm. amazing. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to become an Mm. alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I actually have a little bit of a different viewpoint than what you're sharing, America, which is that I actually think that this story that I feel like we tell ourselves, which is that there's like, you know, regular normal drinkers, and then there's alcoholics, I actually haven't found that to be, you know, my experience. And I actually think that's a narrative that holds a lot of people back from engaging with this topic, like doesn't mean that you have to quit drinking, but being aware of their how alcohol is affecting their lives. Because if you're not an alcoholic, well, then you just automatically are a normal drinker. And then you don't have to question this. So for me, I mean, there's the term alcoholism, which is more of like the the colloquial term for it. And then there's alcohol use disorder, which is the term that more and more medical professionals are using to talk about alcoholism. And alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. And so it can start from mild, um, moderate to severe. And you were talking about before, Teresa, is like that severe, you know, moderate to severe is what people now think, like, that's how they in their minds are thinking, oh, this is what alcoholism looks like, because that's what's been portrayed to us in movies and films and books, you know, and that exists. And a lot of people struggle with, you know, moderate to severe um, AUD. I mean, mm-hmm. I would probably categorize myself close to the, you know, moderate uh, side of the spectrum, but it is a spectrum. And it's a place where, you know, at any given time during your life, you can find yourself at different parts of that spectrum. You know, it's not as if like, sometimes you might have a healthier relationship with alcohol than other times in your life, if you if you're a person who drinks. And I think like, the key message for me is that like, I feel like you don't have to, you know, label yourself as an alcoholic to think about how alcohol is affecting your life, whether it's for better or for worse. Because again, there are benefits to alcohol. There are benefits to drinking. I mean, some people find that it does enhance their experiences in certain ways. Um, I found that the consequences outweighed the benefits. And that was my experience, you know. But I think that because we think of it really in a binary way, alcoholics and everyone else, sometimes that can be hard for people to then just engage with their drinking in a way that's just curious about it, not making any proclamations about what you're going to do, but, you know, starting to be aware of it in a way that's a little bit more manageable or digestible than like, I'm going to stop drinking forever. It could be, I'm going to see how this feels to try this on. And there's lots of communities and stuff that are popping up that help people engage with this question. I want to drill down. We've said some important nuggets that we've just glossed over and I don't want to gloss over them. We've noted a couple of really big red flags, you know, like America, you said it like, can I go to a party and not feel like I got an itch to go Mm. grab a drink to just exist in this space? Like, man, I say that. I know people in my life who say that all the time. They would not identify as like needing to cut back on drinking. But we were at that point three months away from being like, dude, you need to evaluate (laughs) right now because I'm a fixin' to 
get in a fight. You know what I mean? Like where whatever it is you're putting out, whatever it is your behavior, your engagement is, is like, okay, you're yeah, three months away from this becoming a pattern that's going to start affecting your relationship. And it does, it starts Mm -hmm. in these subtle ways. And I think it's good to talk about these subtleties. Like, can you put it down? Are you itching for it? Like, do you feel it in your skin? Mm. Like, is that what within the realm of recreational fun? Or is that a sign of like, no, your body is basically telling you I thrive and like have a desire for this experience mm-hmm. in a way that makes you vulnerable to mm-hmm. get sucked in. Like, that's what I feel. Like, I can tell when I'm bad, there are a couple things that happen. First, the stress in my life is so profound that I'm looking for something else to help me deal with it. And I'm going to go to those things that I know work. Yeah. Yeah. And alcohol is one of them. And that for me is a real real risk factor. And that occurs way before I open the bottle. Mm-hmm. You guys are saying something that for me, so if you've had an experience where you've seen the impacts of alcohol on your life and in other people's lives, then you have a frame that is like, yeah, maybe this isn't the best thing right now, right? And then, right? Mm-hmm. And for other people who haven't, right? It's like, huh, I'm not sure, right? So you come into that space. And then this ebb and flow that you're talking about, because it's true, it's like anything that we're dealing with, right? You have to consider it within your your lived experience. Like if if I'm cool coming home and chilling and not even thinking about the fact that there's a bottle of wine in my fridge that's like calling my name, that's eh, whatever. And it's like seven months, nothing's happened. It's still there, right? But on the other side of it, it's this other piece that is like, if I'm consistently not even thinking about this thing, but I know it exists and I'm not even, I'm I'm not considering it as a coping mechanism, a tool, it's just a thing that is there, Mm -hmm. then how do I move into the space that I have to then ask myself, is this the problem? Is this thing in the outskirts of my life, supposedly, right? Is this the thing that's pushing me in, in not a good direction? To me, it's like you're describing, you know, how do you feel about alcohol. And like what you just described feels like, you know, if you're someone who feels pretty neutral about it, then how can you be curious about how it's affecting you? And I think like the whole point is to just be curious, you know, be open to asking yourself these questions about like, you know, and I think that there's like automatically a lot of shame, a lot of stigma around like, oh, do I have a problem with drinking? And it can make it feel scary to just be like, huh, like, when do I feel cravings for alcohol? What do I do earlier in the day that lead me to feel like I need a drink at the end of the day? You know what I mean? What's kind of like triggering this and like, just start engaging with like, how, what part does alcohol play in your life? Yeah. And start asking yourself some of those questions. And it doesn't have to be, again, like a statement of, you know, I'm going to stop drinking. It can just be how, like, how is alcohol playing a role in my life right now? And you don't even have to do anything with that information right away. You know, it's just starting to ask yourself the question. And by doing that, you're already kind of on a path of self-discovery, you know, wherever that leads with your relationship with alcohol. But 
you know, I don't think it hurts to evaluate different roles that these things play in your life. I mean, I think about for me, I don't drink anymore, but does that mean that I'm like a hundred percent, you know, like someone who never numbs out? No, like now it's more like, how am I using Netflix at the end of the day? And I know like if I start, if I have a day that I have a ton of meetings, I have to talk to a ton of people all day, or, you know, I don't take a break or like I, you know, I don't go for my morning walk or my lunchtime walk. If I like, you know, chug coffee until noon, like all of these, what I do during the day affects my nighttime routine. And I think like a lot of people, it's like those, you know, that the witching hour, that nighttime and how they engage with different things. So for me, it's like my symptoms of burnout now could be, I'm going to plop myself on the couch and just like numb out to Netflix for a few hours. Other folks might, you know, grab for a bottle of wine in the fridge and just have that experience to numb out. Now, the difference for me is like, is Netflix contributing to my well-being? Probably not. You know, it's just like, and like, is it less harmful for me than reaching for alcohol? Yeah. So I think like just starting to question how our relationships to these habits and how they're affecting us and without having to, you know, make any type of serious commitments yet. Something that your, your question triggered for me was around fervor. Like the way I feel when I'm about to pour a drink differs when I'm at a stage in my life where I'm at high risk for feeding to the alcoholism versus being able to recreational drink it's like I can tell when I'm going to make a drink if I'm like excited because mm-hmm. I'm making a cocktail yeah. and I'm enjoying the time and I'm like, oh, we're going to go sip outside and drink versus <laughs> when I'm like, okay, you know, you're gearing up. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like I can tell right away I'm going to pick up the bottle the way I feel when I touch the bottle. And I'm like, it's mm. like what I say about that itchingness inside my skin. It's like get into it. You know, it's like a different kind of fervor in my mind where I'm like, whoa, whoa, what you are doing right now is telling is your body and your brain is telling you, you need to hit it hard. Mm. And you are, you are just sucking into this space to like self deal with whatever in a way that is a risk for you. Where to me, that mind space that I'm in, like the Mm. difference between having a fun cocktail versus like really wanting to grab it is the difference for me between having a drink once a week, twice a week, or even once a day to like, why is that bottle empty when I did Mm. not even realize that I was emptying it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I so relate to that. I love that term that you're using like that fervor because it's like, you know, I just completely, you know, remember being in that headspace. And I think it's a difference of like, oh, I'm going to go relax versus like, I need to escape. Like I need to get out of whatever's happening here or in here. Like I need to shed that. And I think it's like, you know, that's the difference of like going into an experience. I I don't want to put it into this like terms of like, what are the red flags? Because again, I feel like it's almost like, making it feel like it's scary or like there's going to be these huge things that happen that, you know, will help you know you're experiencing. Cause it's also, it's often like 
it's more subtle than that. And I feel like it can like happen over a long time. I mean, for some, but it is scary, isn't it? Like you're a child or you're someone who has alcoholism. I'm, I'm deeply afraid. Like at least I didn't get the mental health education in my family to be afraid of chronic PTSD or freaking psychosis or whatever. But I got the alcoholism fear thing where we were like, it did help when you were like, oh, you know, it actually helped me that I grew up in a family with alcoholism because yeah. then I was even more prepared. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I did too. Like, I have a horrible relationship with alcohol. But at least they gave me that where it's it is scary. Like, yeah. I think the risk factor is if I wasn't scared and I wasn't aware because that and I would be that. I would just see it always as an enhancement and never question whether or right. not I was hurting the people in my life. You know, because that's what happened to the people in my family before me versus like, oh, I gave I they gave me the gift of basically being able to watch them destroy their lives. And then I was like, oh, I can totally destroy my life. And and when those red flags came, I was like, pay attention to that fool, because you're two steps away from being the person you hate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I think back to, you know, when I quit drinking seven years ago, I mean, I was terrified um so I think it's like it's the experience of being there when you are in that intensity that I mean for me when I was actually quitting drinking like I felt I was 23 and I was I had no models for what essentially growing up without drinking could look like and I was terrified you know I was again terrified that I was an alcoholic because I'd seen what what that could look like. I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to make friends or, you know, date or like, I was afraid that I would be ostracized, um, essentially for doing something that I knew was right for me. Another thing I was afraid of was what if I fail? What if I'm not, you know, quote unquote fail? What if I'm not able to quit drinking? And, you know, it took some tries. Like I, I didn't just stop right away. It was a process for me where, you know, I would be, I was trying to quit for, you know, probably a year before I was able to fully be sober. But I guess like for me, the bit about it being scary is what I'm interested in is how can we, I think like Teresa, you and I come from perhaps what I'm gleaning from your experiences is maybe you and I come from like a background where it's like, we know what this looks like and we have like personal experiences with this. And what I'm interested like in right now, especially as like people are starting to come out of lockdown, especially as like, you know, sober curious and sobriety is becoming a little bit more mainstream. You know, it's not just for folks who are, knowing that they have a problem, how can people, you know, look at alcohol and just, again, like, try to understand the role it's playing in their life without needing to be like, oh, I have a problem and I need to quit drinking. Because I think that the benefits of sobriety, like the benefits of someone who, you know, identifies as being in recovery are so great in terms of like, engaging with these types of questions and like building a, a you know different types of skills and coping mechanisms and just being aware um and i think that like you know these are these are like you know gifts gifts of sobriety that i think are like really beneficial to and everyone and i don't think you necessarily have to have a problem with drinking or even be you know completely sober if that's not your path to engage with some of these questions so i think by saying, you know, it is scary. And I hope over time it can become 
less scary so that more folks can start to think about how alcohol is playing in their life. I think that's a really important frame, Emily, because your experience, both you and Teresa's experience is different from mine. Like I have had folks who have struggled with drinking and and different substances in my family, but I've never questioned, I've never questioned my relationship with alcohol because I, I do come from a place that I, I didn't have that worldview, right? Where this is like, these are the warning signs you should be paying attention to. Why, why, you know? Um, whereas you guys have. And then, so the question for me is like, with everything that's happened and in the experiences that I have had, it's been other people that have brought this to my attention, right? Like, or I, or I have been the person that has brought this to other people's attention. Be like, yo, we can't hang out and you not be like completely dead drunk. Like, I'd love to have a conversation with you where you're like coherent for like the entire thing. So in many ways that requires the individual to ask what you're saying, Emily, like, what is it doing for me? Like, where is this it's showing up in my life. How is it showing up? And that may be, I think, a better question than like the red flags, right? Like also what you were talking about, how there's some benefits, right? And I think for many people, they latch on to the benefits because you're like, I'm totally shy. I don't know what to say to people. I'm like a weirdo in social situations, but give me two shots. And then I'm like the life of the party, right? So it becomes a bridge between my maybe not perfect personality to go and socialize to them be like, hells yeah, I can totally become that person. But it's not until you get to the other side and you're having like super, you know, crappy days and people are like, yeah, you rock. And then they meet you at like in normal, Mm -hmm. right? Normal without any drinks in you. And you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is me. And you're like, what happened? What happened? Who you're so fun, you know? And all of that relates to that. Emily said fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, I think there's a lot of people. I mean, I think that, that fear is a signal in our minds <laughs> that like if you ever feel fear where you're like, well, I'm afraid of X around your drinking, that that's the time. That is mm-hmm. what reflection could look like when you take pause and you're like, well, why do you feel fear? Like, what are you fearing? And what does that say about your relationship with alcohol? And then I, I now do this with my husband where we're accountability buddies to each other where, you know, I don't feel bad at all being like, hey, you got to, hey, are you checking in on how often you're picking up alcohol now every day? You know, like, do you need to cut back? And there's no shame in it. There's no judgment. Like he doesn't perceive it as judgment. Whereas before, because we were early in our like management of relationship with alcohol, if if we brought it up in the past, defensiveness was very high because you knew you had a problem, but you didn't like somebody confronting you about it. Yeah, totally. And like moving to a healthier relationship meant, hey, when I call you out on your crap, like you don't feel bad. You're like, okay, wait, this is my accountability buddy who loves me. What are they trying to say? And I have to do the same with him about all the other addiction things that I do, whether it's food or whatever, you know, like, hey, are you are you using that in a way that you don't, you know, you don't want to, you know, but it takes that openness. It takes a, a trust to give it. And then it takes an openness to hear it to be well. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such, I mean, it's awesome that you and your husband have that accountability. What did you say? Accountability? Accountability. Okay. Accountability. <laughs> love it. I feel like 
Yeah, I mean, and also, like, someone who is on the other side of this experience and, like, my sobriety, I find sometimes can be threatening to folks who are, like, questioning their relationship with alcohol. What I wonder is, like, why we have that automatic, like, defensiveness that comes up and that has come up for me and that I've experienced, like, on the flip side of it, too. And I think it's because it's, like, we've put ourselves culturally in a really interesting position where it's like we've taken um you know this substance and we've normalized it and it's so normal and if you aren't engaging with it in the way that everyone else is it feels like very confronting which you know it's interesting to me that like we have this defensiveness and this confrontation with alcohol that we might not have around other substances like if someone you know, if someone cuts, and I know that the, the consequences are different, but like if someone cuts out like coffee, no one's going to be like, oh, well, I'm not cutting out my coffee. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah, it's culturally, we have a really complicated relationship, I think, with alcohol that is very dichotomous. I I really believe that part of what you're kind of framing and relaying, right, is this idea that you become a mirror to so many people that may not be ready to have a conversation. Because you're right, it's so normalized. So anything outside of that space is then seen as, quotes abnormal, right? And it questions the, the role and the decisions that you're making outside of the, the forms and rules that have been set by our society. And that's particularly you know, within our Latinx communities, like if you're not drinking and you like go to a party and people are like, what, what do you mean? You can't have a beer. And it's like, no, I'm cool. I'll have a Coke, you know? And they'll be like, nah, man, you got to have a beer. Like, no, I'll have a Coke. And you have to like continuously justify your decision. And so it, it, not only does it require for you to really be vested, like I'm all in, like, I'm cool with the decision I've made, yo. I don't have to make you feel comfortable with my decision because at the end of the day, it's my life. But that counters everything that, you know, exists like within our kind of society where you're just like, oh no, well, I got to tell you why, you know? Yeah, I stopped, I stopped, you know, drinking coffee or I'm no longer using sugar, you know? And people are like, what? Well, that's great. But they don't make that same type of th- that response is not the same when you make a decision like this because it's stigmatized. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you've recognized that this is something that's not the best thing for you. But yet you're like, oh, I wonder what happened there. Right. And I think, you know, I remember early on, like when I was trying to quit drinking, um, I specifically remember like I went to a bar to go out with some friends and I was like early on and I was trying not to drink. And, you know, I told someone, um, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. And they took it upon themselves to go to the bar, buy me a beer and and bring it to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I actually did drink it. Um, But I say that because I think like in early sobriety, it can be really hard for folks to you know, share that they're not drinking right now because the people around them might not always accept it or might push them. So I think like it's important to, you know, be aware of like what situations can you go into and feel like you can handle it. And also like, you know, I wish that early in sobriety, 
someone had told me like this period of time won't be forever, you know, where you have to be super cognizant of like people and feel super self-conscious of being like, I'm not drinking right now because it feels like it feels scary and it feels very raw and very vulnerable. And now, you know, flash forward seven years with lots of practice in setting boundaries with people, lots of practice and in going into different situations. You know, I feel safe and comfortable going into any scenario and just saying like, yeah, I, I don't drink. And if someone pushes me on that, like, like you said, I feel like it's more of a mirror. Um, and it does nothing to do with me really, or my decision not to drink. And, but it takes time to get to that point. Um, and I often say like, my sobriety is one of the best things about me now. You know, I feel like it's, it enables me to be a good friend. It enables me to go into a party and like have fun and not be worried about what I'm going to do. So I feel like I've passed that threshold where, you know, I started and it felt really shameful to be, you, you know, engaging with this. It felt really shameful to be trying to quit drinking. And now I feel really confident in my, in my choice and my decision. And I also feel like not everyone's going to arrive at this decision. And that's totally fine. Like not everyone wants to be sober as well. And I think that like, we're all on our different paths and our different journeys. And like, there's no right way to do it. This is what works for me. And it might not be necessarily what works for everyone. But I think we can still all engage with the topic because it is so prevalent. And every one of us, you know, has some type of relationship with alcohol, whatever that may be. So I think like, being able to be curious about it and ask ourselves questions and probably arrive at different conclusions about it. I think, you know, I'm hoping can become more and more mainstream. I think that's really important um, in everything that we've talked about, because at the end of the day, it really is a decision, right? Where you have, for any X reason, you've started asking the question. And if you started asking the question, then follow through with it, you know, figure out where the issues may exist for you where, and, and what the end goal may be, right? And, and that goal, I think, will shift as you learn more about what your experience is and what you want it to look like. The relationships that we have with any of our negative coping skills, they are, yo, they just run the gamut, right? Like things are weird at different times of your life that push you in one direction, push you in another, and then you really try to find comfort. But at the end of the day, it's really finding what's going to work for you within the confines of the life that you want to have. I think that's what I most resonates from what you're sharing with us. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Tempest and like the, the resources that you guys have? So some resources for folks who are interested in just starting to question their relationship with alcohol. I think first, um, Tempest does have a membership program. So we have two options for folks, our core membership program and then our intensive program, which is clinically proven, both of which um, will include education, community, and support. So education through different topics that we'll release every month, taught by subject matter experts, community with uh, a community forum that's moderated by our recovery coaches and has different topics folks can engage in, and then support through our recovery coaches, which lead small group calls, larger group calls, and then they also do one-on-one -on -one accountability coaching. Awesome. So, the so check website out Tempest. Is, well, yeah, check out Tempest. And I also want to say 
we we also have like uh, our resource center, which has tons of like free articles you can go check out at any time. Our Instagram, we're constantly collaborating with um, partners in the space and have a lot of awesome tips at at Join Tempest on Instagram. And then we also have a newsletter, which we deliver every Sunday, which has really helpful prompts and stories, personal stories from folks, if you're just looking to sort of dabble. And what's that website? Jointempest.com. Any final thoughts, America? So I would say in closing, in terms of final thoughts, um, figure out what works best for you. As in every situation that we talk about with mental health, figure out what works best based on your experience. Emily, your thought about to increase your awareness of uh, is is the first step to start asking questions and, and think about your drinking or any addiction risk that we have with curiosity is probably a good first step in making sure that you you ask. And if you're here and you're just asking, should I stop drinking? That is a curious stance, right? And so paying attention to the kinds of questions you're asking and what those answers tell you is, is is a good space to be to make ultimately get to that decision where you're like, okay, uh, do I need to stop drinking for now, or how do I have to have a relationship with alcohol in order to be well and engaged in life? Yeah, I think that's a perfect. T- that's exactly what I would say, Teresa. I think just being curious and being willing to look at things that might be scary, but also might really enhance your experience of living in the world. So awesome. That's it. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I know these are like tough conversations to have and it's it's exciting to to chat with people and I'm happy that people are interested. All right, people. Keep fighting in the open, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. 